deep into our hearts, into our lives, into the realms of relationships that we have, starting with the home, with the family. We pray for all of this, for your glory, for the good of your church. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we're taking a break from our series through the book of Exodus, but we are not going too far from Exodus. We are going to be camping out in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Today's message is timed with our upcoming launch of Home Life. It's going to be a resource ministry uh, that our church is going to be um, promoting that is aimed at strengthening and deepening marriages and families in our church. And we're going to be talking more about that in the weeks to come. Um, You'll see some actual resources out in the lobby. Uh, I'll mention a few things later in this message, but this is kind of timed uh, as we're preparing for the launch of Home Life. What we want to do this morning is to focus on the intersection between family and faith. And we we think it's so important because according uh, to a recent poll, family and faith are considered the two, the top two sources of meaning in life. Last November, a Pew Research poll asked people an open-ended question about what provides them a sense of meaning, and they could just fill in the blank with whatever they wanted, and almost 70% of people polled said it was family. The family was their source of meaning. Uh, The next most popular answer was career at 34%. And then money at 23%. And then coming in fourth was spirituality and faith at 20%. Now, when the pollsters then followed up by asking a close-ended question with uh, 15 set options to choose from, uh, uh, when they asked that, then 40% chose, quote, spending time with family as the most important source of meaning in their lives. Uh, That was the top choice. And in this case, in this close question, my religious faith came in second place, again at 20% of the people. Um, So really what becomes clear here is from these survey questions is that family is extremely important for the average American. Seven out of 10 people you meet will name family as their source of meaning and fulfillment in life. Now, faith is up there, but it still doesn't come close to family. Now, on one hand, you can take that information and you can conclude that we are at the risk of idolizing the family, that you can go too far in focusing on the family if it becomes your primary source of meaning in life. If having Jesus is not enough for you, if you feel like your life is empty and and pointless because you're still not married or because you still don't have children or if you lack joy and contentment because your marriage is not as exciting as you imagined it would be or parenting is not the adventure that you hoped it would be, if, if the state of your marriage and the status of your kid's education or career, if those things hold greater significance to you than Christ and his kingdom, well then yes, you've probably turned family into an idol. And we all need to check our hearts on this because it is so subtle. Back when this survey came out, 
Uh, Kevin DeYoung, he had tweeted this. Listen to this. He says, one of the most acceptable idolatries among evangelical Christians is the idolatry of the family. Now, this guy, if you don't know who he is, I mean, he has eight kids, all right? So it's not as if he is anti-family, anti-kids. And yet he recognizes, this, this pastor, he recognizes how family can be an idol. But if that few survey is right, then that's not a stretch of the imagination, right? Uh, apparently, a lot of Americans, including American Christians, are susceptible to the idolization of the family. But having said all that, after recognizing the danger of idolatry, there is still something very important that we should affirm about the centrality of the family. Because it's no coincidence that so many people said that they find so much significance in family. And it's because, friends, it's because that reflects God's good created order. The family unit was always intended from the very beginning to play an instrumental role in the spiritual formation of the individual. The first family, if you think about it, is introduced to us in the very first few chapters of Scripture. And so in many ways, the family does take center stage in Scripture. I mean, just think back to when we studied the Ten Commandments a few weeks ago. Remember how we distinguished between the first and second tables of the law, and we said that the first table, that's commandments one through four, they were directed towards our relationship with God. But then in the second table, it shifts, and the law's orientation is now focusing on our relationship with other people. And it's no coincidence. It is no coincidence that the first relationship on the horizontal plane that the law addresses is our relationship with our parents. It's significant that the parent-child relationship is foremost on God's mind when he begins to think about how we relate to other people. Because according to his good created order, the family is fundamental to preserving the very fabric of society. A people who have not learned to honor their own parents will not honor other authorities that God has established in their lives. And thus, the very fabric of society will eventually unravel if we are not honoring our parents. That's how important family is in God's good order. And just think about our text the surrounding context around Deuteronomy 6 is all about the re-giving of the Mosaic law. It's, it's a covenant renewal ceremony of sorts. A whole new generation of Israelites is about to enter into the promised land. If you recall, their, their parents' generation, where they were unfaithful, 40 years earlier, and they refused to go into the land. And so God had them wander in the wilderness for 40 years until that generation died off. But their kids were just kids back there in Exodus chapter 20 when the law was first given. And so this new generation of Israelites, they need a re-giving, a retelling of the law. And so in chapter 5 of Deuteronomy, Moses, he re-gives the Ten Commandments. If you just read chapter 5, it's, it's basically a summary of what you saw back in Exodus 20. He, he re-gives the commandments. He reaffirms the need for a proper fear of the Lord in order to keep you um, uh, walking with the Lord, careful to do all that he commands. And then here in our chapter, in chapter 6, 
Moses affirms the uniqueness of the Lord our God and how he is to be loved and how his word is to be on our hearts. And so now you would think that after affirming those realities, you would think that whatever Moses is going to say next must be significant. What is he going to address? And who is he going to address it to? To the future leaders of Israel? The future judges and kings about how they should lead the nation? Does he appeal to broad cultural movements and call for sweeping societal changes? What does he address? He addresses parents and how they should train up their children. Moses focuses on the family. More specifically, he focuses on the words that are to be spoken in the family. But it's not just a focus on how many words or even what words, but whose words are spoken in the family. Moses describes what we would call a word-centered home. There are three things happening in a word-centered home that I want to draw to your attention. These are the three points of our message this morning. If you want to follow along, you look in your bulletin, you'll see an outline. Three things happening in a word-centered home. There's listening, there's internalizing, and there is talking. These are our three points. Let's, let's start with the first. In a word-centered home, there will be a deliberate effort to listen to the word, to hear the Lord. That's how Moses begins, with a call to listen, a call to hear. He says it clearly in verse 3. He affirms it again in verse 4, to hear the Lord. Uh, Earlier, just look in verse 1, Moses says this. I'll read this again. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and all your, and your sons and your sons' sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. What he's doing here is he's telling us really the goal of our parenting. It's, it's, it's so that not only our sons, but did you notice it's for our sons' sons, our children and our grandchildren, that they may fear the Lord, they may walk in his ways and enjoy long life. That's what all believing parents want. That's the goal of our parenting. And I love how this is a long-term goal. Well, we're not just aiming at our kids getting into a good college or or to see them financially independent and stable or for them themselves to get married and have kids. No, think longer. Dream bigger. If, If you're a Christian parent, you should be thinking and dreaming and praying for your future grandchildren to be walking fearfully with the Lord. That's what Moses is saying here. Think about your son's son, your daughter's daughter. That's the bigger, longer-term goal of parenting. Even if your kid is just a newborn right now, you should be praying for their children, for your grandchildren. But if that's the goal, if that's the vision, how do we get there? Well, Moses says you, as a family, need 
to hear. Well, to hear what? To hear what God has revealed about himself. Look at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So in a word-centered home, parents will be teaching their kids to listen. To listen to God's self-revelation, to who God says that he is. You know, a common problem for most of us is that we do more talking about who we think God is than listening to who he actually says he is. We gather around the Bible as a family or as a small group, and we spend all our time sharing our thoughts about God instead of opening up that Bible and actually listening to what it says. The problem is, we end up with a lot of self-constructed views about God based on our own wisdom, based on our own intuition, but these views don't reflect what God has revealed about himself. I mean, just imagine if one day someone decides to write a biography about you. I'm sure you would be flattered. But how offended would you be if the biographer simply ignored your words, ignored your actions, and just constructed their own version of you, painting a very different picture of you, one that you wouldn't even recognize? That's how God feels when we construct our own versions of him. We may do a a whole lot of talking about God when we gather together, but do we take the time to really listen? To hear the Lord. And I I don't mean in some kind of mystical sense here. I'm talking about hearing God in his word, in his written word in scripture. And that's really one of the key responsibilities that we have as parents to train our kids with the ears to be able to hear God's word to build within them an instinct to listen to Scripture with intent, to not draw any conclusions about God until we've listened to what he says about himself. And, you know, this training of your children to listen to God has to begin at a young age, and I mean very young. I've been reading to my daughter almost every night since she was a newborn. And, you know, even after she learned to read, I I still try to maintain a habit of of reading to her because I want her to have a habit of listening to words being read, whether it's the words of Scripture or just words of a good book. Why is that? Because I hope that she grows up with a penchant for listening to spoken words, especially preached words in a corporate worship service like this. And that's why we've been bringing um, our daughter into service from a very early age. We saw David and Alice Carter, we saw John and Kelly Ma doing this with their kids when they were little, and it rubbed off on us. If, If we want our kids to be trained to listen to the words of God, then we need to expose them to biblical preaching at a very early age. You know, sure, they may not comprehend the content, but friends, they will get the form. 
They'll get that it's important to gather every week with other worshipers to hear a book being read and explained and applied to our hearts. I mean, you guys do realize that Christians are a peculiar people, right? Because nowhere else do people gather on a weekly basis to listen to a 3,000-year-old book like the book of Exodus being read and discussed in a 40-minute monologue where you just sit there and listen. Right? That doesn't happen anywhere else but in a church service. That kind of behavior is weird. Christians are weird. So why wait to expose your child to our weirdness? The world may find it weird, but you want your kids to grow up thinking it is totally normal to listen to the preaching of God's word on a weekly basis. Now, I I realize that some families have unique and extenuating circumstances that make it particularly hard to bring their kid or their kids into a worship service. That's totally understandable. But if you have the chance, if the opportunity is there, then I urge you to make it a priority to bring them into service. Don't wait until they're teenagers. You might think that they won't appreciate preaching until they're older, but if your kids aren't trained and accustomed to listening to biblical preaching from an early age, then you are going to find it even harder to transition them into service when they're teenagers. So start young and help them to develop ears, those kinds of ears that are trained to listen to the preaching of God's Word. Now, I I know someone is probably going to object. What good is it? What good is it to bring your kids into service, but they're not paying attention? They're not going to remember anything. They won't retain anything. Well, I, I do agree that the bigger goal, of course, is for them to thoughtfully engage with the Word of the Lord. But I don't think it's fair to say that small children aren't retaining anything or that sitting under the weekly preaching of the word has no effect on them. Sure, they may not remember most of the sermons they hear, but at least they're going to grow up remembering how important it was as a family to regularly sit under biblical preaching. I mean, do you remember what you ate last Sunday? What about a month ago? Do you remember what you ate? Do you remember what you ate on this day a year ago? Probably not. You can't remember most of the meals that you ate, but I'm sure you grew up with the recognition of how important it is to eat a meal every day. Sitting down for a meal was a habit ingrained within you since you were young. And who trained you with that good habit? It was parents who cared about your physical health, that you ate a good meal every day. And so parents, if you care about the spiritual health of your kids, then build up within them the habit of sitting under biblical preaching every week. Now how much they're going to understand, how much they're going to retain will largely be age dependent. It's the same thing when you're eating with the family. 
right? When your kid is eight months old, he's only going to be eating a tiny fraction of the family meal sitting out there on the table. But when he's eight, you're going to expect him to eat far more. And by the time he's 18, he's probably going to be devouring more than you. But regardless of how much they're taking in, the eight-month-old, the eight-year-old, and the 18-year-old will all have the habit of sitting down together for a family meal. And so the habit of sitting down to listen to the biblical preaching is really what we're after here. We're not expecting a young child to process and to retain a whole lot, just as a toddler is not going to eat as much as a teenager. But as our kids enter into those teen years, then, then yes, we do need to feed them more of God's Word, and we should be helping them to thoughtfully engage with it. And this, so this leads to our second point. In a Word-centered home, there will be a deliberate effort to internalize the Word of God. You see, Moses is not content with mere exposure to the Word. He calls Israel to take it to heart, to affect the affections. Let me read to you verses 5 and 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So that's the goal, for the word to not just be in our ears, but on our hearts. When, the, when, when God's words are impressed upon our hearts, when we understand the heart motivation behind all of his commands, friends, it will combat mere moralism. And that's one of the biggest dangers in Christian parenting. The biggest danger is that we're going to raise up good-tempered, well-behaved little moralists who have no grasp of the gospel. I remember reading this interview with Phil Vischer. Phil Vischer is the creator of VeggieTales. Uh, I'm sure most of you know what VeggieTales is. It was, it was a popular children's show used in children's ministries across America. If you're a millennial, you probably, if you grew up in the church, you grew up well-versed in VeggieTales and all of their songs. But in this interview, he looked back at his life work and he realized that it went off track. And he said this, quote, I looked back at the previous 10 years and I realized I had spent 10 years trying to convince kids to behave Christianly without actually teaching them Christianity. And that was a pretty serious conviction. You can say, hey kids, be more forgiving because the Bible says so. Or, hey, kids, be more kind because the Bible says so. But that's not Christianity. It's morality. In other words, until we help our kids understand the why, until we speak to their hearts, we speak to their affections, to what they love, until then we are only creating well-behaved moralists, not God-loving compassionate disciples of Jesus Christ. This command in verse 5, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your might, is, of course, what Jesus later describes as the first and greatest commandment. It means here that 
everything in us should be devoted to him. Everything we think, everything we do, everything we feel should be focused on loving God. Well, parents, one practical way to help your kids to grow up with this kind of love, this kind of love for God, is to help them at a young age to begin loving his word. Because that's where we meet God. We meet God in his word. But of course, then we're going to have to be very careful in the way that we use God's word. We have to be so careful in how we use scripture in the raising of our kids. We have to resist the temptation to use the word of God in a manipulative way, to guilt trip our kids, to to beat down their resistance with the word. Don't exasperate your kids with the word of the Lord. If you misuse the Bible to manipulate your kids, they're going to shrink from it when they're young and abandon it when they're grown. If the goal of your parenting, if your big long-term goal is to have your grandkids 50 years from now sitting in church under the preached word, worshiping God with hearts full of love, holding your great-grandchildren in their arms, if that's your vision, then aim for right now for your kids to fall in love with the Word. But for a love for the Word, a love for the Word, friends, is better caught than taught. And so that means we're going to really have to examine ourselves our practices, our disciplines, and our attitude towards the Word. How do we treat the Bible? How do we view God's Word? If, if you still see it as a heavy taskmaster, if you, if you read it as a book merely of laws and commands that you can never live up to, then it's no surprise if your kids see it in the same way and if they have little interest in reading it. Friends, we have to fall in love with the Word of God first. If it's not sweeter to you than honey from the honeycomb, if it instead tastes bitter to you and and sour, then you're likely going to pass on those same taste buds to your kids. And so whether you have kids or not, this, my friends, is something that all of us can grow in. If you don't have a regular time in your daily schedule for reading or for meditating on God's Word, then don't be surprised if you struggle to maintain a consistent, fervent love for the Lord. And don't be surprised if your kids grow up in worse shape. If you don't know where to start, you don't know how to start, well, then I'll just give you a real practical suggestion. Go to our church website. Look under the resources tab, and you're going to find a page with, a num- uh, with three suggested Bible reading plans. Um, and you can just start there. Those plans can help jumpstart a regular habit of reading God's Word in your life, and especially in your family life. So in a Word-centered home, there's an effort to listen to the Word of God and to internalize the Word of God, to love it. And when we love something... Well, then we love to talk about that something, which leads to our third point. In a word-centered home, there is a a deliberate effort to talk about the word. 
That's what's affirmed for us in verse 7. And the remaining text explains how godly parents go about teaching the word to each successive generation. So look at verse 7 again. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Teach the word, the words of scripture, diligently to your children. Other translations are going to say, you shall repeat them or you shall impress these words of God on your children. And so when you, when you read that phrase, teach diligently, you shouldn't be picturing preaching here. Uh, or, or lecturing, or you know, some kind of Socratic method where you're asking questions back and forth with your kids. I mean, those are all fine forms of teaching. We should be utilizing all of them. But in verse 7, Moses had in mind the idea of inculcation. To inculcate a lesson is to impress it on someone's mind and heart by frequent repetition and recitation. So Moses is telling parents to help their children to internalize the word by memorizing the word. Keep reading it, keep talking about it, keep saying it over and over by repeating the word to them, by having, it, having them repeat it to themselves. We're basically talking about the practice of scripture memory. All kids, both ancient and modern, are adept at memorizing large chunks of Scripture. I know adults find it hard. Adults find it boring, but children tend to respond very well to routine and repetition. Now, I know you could argue, okay, well, that's great. You know, these little small children are memorizing Psalm 19. That's, that, that's great and all, but, but they don't understand, you know, the theological nuances found therein about, you know, general and special revelation. They don't get that. Yeah, sure, yeah, maybe not when they're six. But when you get around to explaining the theology of that psalm when they're 16, well, then the Word of God will have been ripening in their hearts for all those years. They're going to be more ready. They're going to be more primed to receive the truth and the implications of God's Word after having hidden His Word in their hearts for so long. Moses goes on to say in, in verse 7 that this practice of inculcating the word onto the hearts of your children calls for you to talk about God's word with them all the time. Look, he goes on to say in verse 7, you shall teach them when you, uh, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. In other words, there should be a, a rhythm. There should be a routine in your family life that centers on the Word of God. Now, it, I know it's probably going to look different for every family. You might make Bible reading a part of your bedtime routine when you lie down, as Moses says. Or you might make it part of your morning routine before school, before work, when you rise. Or maybe your family likes to listen to the Bible in the car when you walk by the way, as Moses says. Or, or maybe you, you like to do it after dinner, when the whole family's together, when you sit in your house. So whatever it is, your rhythm, your routine, it might look different just as long as your family 
has a routine that is centered on the Word of God. You know, one of the features of our new home life ministry that I was, uh, I was mentioning is going to be a resource board full of pamphlets that we're going to be calling pointers. And these pointers, some of them will be directed towards parents. It's not just all about parenting. There's going to be things for singles. There's going to be things for married uh, couples. But there's going to be a section for parents. And those pointers are going to, a lot of them are going to be helping you to develop a word-centered rhythm and routine in your home. And we're also, later on in the year, going to be launching campaigns. Campaigns, every so often, that are going to be challenging parents and their children to deliberately talk about certain issues relevant issues facing families and to work through those things together. It's all about trying to get us talking and talking about God and God's Word. It's about getting families centered on the Word of God. And we definitely, you know, as we said before, we definitely want to train our kids to listen to the Word. But as they grow up, as they mature, We've got to begin talking to them about the Word, helping them to understand and to apply all that they have been hearing, all that they have been memorizing. We've got to talk about these things, and we see that happening in Deuteronomy 6. Just look down with me in verse 20. If you look at verse 20, the kids start asking questions. They start asking the why questions, right? They start asking their parents to explain why. What's the meaning behind all this? What's the meaning behind all these testimonies and statutes and rules that the Lord has commanded? They want to know why. Why do we celebrate Passover? Why can't we have some leavened bread in this house? Why, do we, why can't we go work on the fields on the Sabbath? Why is it wrong to to bear false witness? Why is it wrong to lie and bend the truth, especially when the truth is so embarrassing, the truth is so hard? And why do we have to go to church every Sunday? Oh, why do we have to do devotionals? Why do we have to give an offering? Kids, both ancient and modern, are going to be asking why. They need to know why We believe what we believe. They need to know why we behave as we behave. We need to help our kids understand the reason behind their obedience. And if you keep on reading in chapter 6 and verse 21, after your kids ask you the meaning behind these commands of God, the Hebrew parent is supposed to explain by recalling and retelling their spiritual history. Look at verse 21. Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Verse 23, and he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. So do you see the point there? What's the meaning behind all of these commands? What's the reason behind our obedience? Why, Dad, do we have to obey God? Because he delivered us from bondage. He redeemed us from slavery. He freed us by sheer mercy, by amazing grace, by his outstretched arm and his mighty hand. We obey because because we are his now. We are his people and he is our God. We obey because we love him. We obey for all that he is and all that he has done for us. That's why we do it. 
for an Israelite family, the Exodus was the highlight of all of their stories. It was the climactic, redemptive event of their spiritual history. But of course, for us, as Christian families, we have an even greater story to tell. We have Calvary. We have the cross and the empty tomb. And so when our kids ask us the meaning behind God's word, Mom, Dad, why do we have to observe all that Jesus commanded? When they ask the why, we get the awesome privilege of recalling and retelling the gospel story. Our story, our spiritual history. Tell your kids, kids, you want to know the meaning behind all of these statutes and testimonies, and rules, and scripture. You want to know why mom and dad are so committed to obeying Jesus and loving him with all of our heart, soul, and might? It's because he took our place at the cross. He lived the righteous life that we were supposed to live. He died the gruesome death that we deserve to die. He delivered us. He redeemed us. He set us free by sheer mercy, by amazing grace. Kids, there is no greater privilege than to serve this kind of God with faith, love, and obedience. That's how you answer your kids. That's what you tell them. Especially if your goal is not for them to grow up as just a well-behaved moralist. You know, a moralist has no problem with obedience. A moralist is, is very good at obeying. If your goal is to raise a moralist, then train your child to obey God's word. That's it. But if you want your child to be a Christian, then you train him to not only obey God's word, but they need to understand and to believe that the true children of, of God obey out of a gospel-driven faith and love. So church, we're going to be, as I said, launching this home life ministry in the next uh, few weeks. You're going to be seeing more um, information about it. You're going to see eventually a resource board in the lobby. It's going to be manned by volunteers from our family life team. We really do hope that you take advantage of these resources, and we do really pray that God's word begins to take center stage in all of our families. Let me pray for us. Let's pray for the families of our church. Father, we thank you so much for the word and the way that it dissects, the way that it, it um, exposes. Lord, there's so many things that we know that we fall short of, especially when it comes to this responsibility you've given those of us who are parents. And Lord, we feel a heavy weight of responsibility that we need your spirit to help us carry. And I pray, Lord, that by your grace, through your spirit, we might be able to faithfully create within our families a word-centered culture where our children are exposed to the word of the Lord and they are trained to hear, to listen, and that we are helping them to eternalize it as we are talking 
about it and teaching it to them. Oh, Lord, I pray that you will continue to work within our families, within our children and youth ministries as a church, that you might be glorified by one day a new generation of believers that are not even born yet may be standing in our place in this service, may be sitting in these pews in our place, still worshiping you and sitting under your word. That's our hope and our vision. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.